Welcome everybody back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined at long last by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you this wonderful morning? I am good. Um, I'm very good. I saw you in person in flesh and beard for the but first it's not time. The same. It's not the same as recording a podcast over a, uh, <laughs> uh, a, a bad uh, internet app. Yeah, no, no. You in 3D or 4D is is a lot better. Everyone should experience it sometime in their life. Get is to my, see is Dave my beard the fourth dimension there? It has it has really changed since the last time I saw you. It's I wouldn't bit, say a it's, wee bit gray. A wee it's, bit. It's gotten gray. It it has gotten gray, and yeah. that's what happens. And I'm sure you won't care, but as you get older. Yeah, I used to have a nice little beard, and then I got rid of it because if I didn't have it for a while and then grew it back, it came in completely gray-white, and that is unacceptable. I start looking like Jerry Azanero. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I'm not possessed, um, as you know, by a, a great deal of uh, vanity, per- personal yeah. physical vanity. I will say there's there's some vanity going on, definitely. But is okay. it is okay. it is it related to the uh, the 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 look of my face? No. You take a little pleasure in the more kind of uh, contrary your beard becomes. Yeah. Just looking, yeah. Like when you go into a Starbucks and you're, they're scared of you a little because in that beard enhances that kind of fear. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's situations where like, would I prefer like that the beard wasn't there? Like, if I have to like go to my kid's school and I don't want to look like a predator, sure, sure. But in reality, no. I mean, I, I love this thing. In reality, the predator look you you embrace. I I, I work it. I work it. Um, we actually have a lot to discuss, and we're sitting here talking about my gray beard. But yes, I feel and I feel really bad. We've been remiss. We haven't done this for a while. Uh, we've been busy, but yeah, we have a lot to talk about. So just strap in because we're here for a while. Yeah, yeah. strap in, strap up. We've got a lot to do. Um, should we lead off with Vegas since that was uh, the most recent thing that we saw each other, and that's a nice little transition? No, let's not. Let's just go right. Let's go right to the thing that everyone I don't <coughs> first wants to hear us talk about. I'm sorry, but first the USC hire in the state of UCLA football. Okay, um, I know you've probably been talking a lot about. You've been on other podcasts. I mean, you just you know. No, I I, I haven't done. I I did. Oh, I did Danielle Alvarez Citycast last night. Oh, that was nice. Danielle. That was actually the first uh, time. Yeah, she's great. Um, that was the first time I shared my uh, my my thoughts, my uh, my complicated feelings about the USC hire. Um, <laughs> hey, one thing too about Danielle: if you've been to a UCLA basketball game uh, uh, this year, this is not anything personal against the young lady who is uh, the one who's screaming into the mic to get the the crowd going, but. It's she's not good. There's a lot of yeah, it's just not good. Danielle is so good at that. If you've ever seen Danielle do it, I mean, she's excellent. Yeah, so no, I just she was really to good. Shout at, out for that. I, I mean, not like whatever. I think it's a little bit patronizing for me to say this because I'm just a dumbass, but she was really good at hosting that show. Like it was really smooth, good interview. Yeah, no, she's uh, a professional all the way. Yeah, um, we just buried it again. So the USC <laughs> hire. <laughs> The USC hire. I mean, uh, we just, uh, you either believe one of two things about it. Um, That it was really kept secret, which I don't believe, or it really happened the way they said it happened, that it was 
you know, happened really, really quickly. Because I believe B, because in this day and age, everything leaks out at some at some point. I just don't believe this was in the cards for a long time. It would have leaked out. So this is an amazing coup for USC. There's no, as UCLA fans, you just, I know there are people on the forum saying, oh, it was, uh, uh, he's not that good. He's not that great. This was a, it was a great hire given where they were. And we know that some other coaches um, just balked and said no. To pull this out, uh, it was, it's probably the singularly best thing USC sports has done. Well, I mean, I don't even know if you give them credit for Pete Carroll. They backed into that, but I, it, probably in the last twenty-something years. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think people are, and whatever. We all try to cope in our own ways, um, and it could. I mean, it legitimately could not work out for all the reasons that these things sometimes just don't work out, and that's you know you can keep that thought in your head. But um, <laughs> USC just made um, from like a process standpoint, or from a. Um, just assessing it before anything actually happens standpoint, they just made the best hire anyone's ever made. Like, yeah. do people understand that? Like going from a power five elite program that is routinely in the college football playoff that recruits at a top 10 level and then going to USC, like that's, you know, we, we all judged the, the Chip Kelly hire really well because that was a, you know, it was the marquee name on the market at that time. This blows that out of the water because this was a sitting head coach at another Power 5 job that is in that super elite stratosphere. Like, Oklahoma has an argument to be the best college football program of all time. Um, and he just bounced to USC. Um, that's that, that's a, that's a, um, a colossal hire. Uh, now, Lincoln Riley specifically, I mean, he's going to recruit like an like a maniac. Um, he was already recruiting Southern California really, really, really well at Oklahoma in Norman, Oklahoma. He was recruiting Southern California. Well in Norman, Oklahoma. And now he gets to do it from, uh, from LA. Uh, how, I mean, just uh, rhetorical question for everyone out there, but how do you think that's going to work out? It's going to take, <laughs> well, we've USC. already seen, we've already seen it. How it's exactly. working out. Exactly. He's flipping guys just left and right. But the thing is, um, USC under Clay Helton has been recruiting at, I think it's been an average of a top 15 level, top 10. And so this argument that USC always has talent and always recruits well is true to an extent, but does everyone, I mean, just cast your memories back to the Pete Carroll years and even, you know, occasional ones of the Stark years, there's a big difference between top five recruiting classes and top 15 recruiting classes. Yeah. Um, and they're going to get a lot of top five classes and yes, he could still fumble it. Like the offense he designs could just maybe not work because there's not that continuity with Oklahoma or whatever. I'm just not really buying it. I think UCLA and I think all the other schools in the Pac-12 need to prepare like all of their, um, you know how like in World War One, like all of the different um, like war departments prepared like military plans for like all these different weird scenarios. Like I right, love how you come up with historical references that in your mind and in uh, you think every this is it's such commonplace that right. everyone knows this right yeah. right so but yeah. like anyway okay. like germany has war plans for like okay here's what we're gonna do if we just have to like fight the hell out of austria um or italy has one okay what if we have to fight the british and the russians at the same time everyone needs to break out you know break the glass on the how do we approach super elite usc um, because UCLA hasn't had to do it since 
um, really since the Durrell years, because uh, Carol was starting to tail off towards the uh, beginning of the New Heisel years. But what was the plan that started to work a little bit more? And the reality is UCLA can't concede on the recruiting trail. They can't because finally towards the end, Durrell was starting to get it a little bit more. You know, you had the Brian Price recruitment, all that kind of stuff where they weren't just conceding to USC. You have to compete with them. You have to. And that's the UCLA plan is you have to compete. You can't just concede. If you do, you're going to get steamrolled. Well, well, that's uh, that's a great thing to what I had all queued up as my next comment. Um, everyone's looking at the USC hire as just a big blow to UCLA football. And uh, yeah, it, it probably will. But also, if you want UCLA to step up and on many fronts with its football program, this, this is the catalyst. <laughs> UCLA is going to be forced to step up. It cannot just sit back and let USC run over it. Now, does it have the resources? You know, it's endlessly debated, like on the forum, it's endlessly debated among the donors I talk to uh, what UCLA can afford for uh, a coach. And it's, it, it's a tough it's a tough thing to figure out. Uh, there is the UC Regents Board, the Board of Regents. They do have to approve any kind of salary that that. Uh, and when you're talking about how much a coach is being paid, that's that's how much he's being paid, no matter where the money comes from and what source. It, it, that's my understanding. And there are limitations on that. Uh, the private schools and the really really well funded public schools, well-funded football programs that come from public schools like LSU are going to make out in this new environment, which is college football. And it is an arms race right now. It is a financial slash arms race. That's what's going on right here because there's a lot of money to be had. The uh, SEC and the Big 12 threw down the gauntlet when they when those four schools we're going to the SEC. It is an arms race. And if you don't step up, you're going to be left behind. More than likely in college football, there's going to be a small group of schools that can afford to be good that will be. But for UCLA to be competitive, it's going to have to step up. Would it ever be able to afford, let's say within this context right now, would it be able to afford an 8 to $10 million a year head coach? I'd have to say, given what I know, that that's not the case. Um, and there's a region cap too. Like there's a couple different things that would play into that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it has. To, and there's also a clause that you can only increase it, increase like twenty percent or whatever. Twenty yeah. percent, and he's making five point six. So do the math. Right. Um, uh, he as in <laughs> he as in Chip Kelly. Yeah. So uh, where does that leave UCLA to step up? Um, I don't think I'm breaking news here right now, and I'm going to have a story that comes out probably later today. As it stands right now, and this is barring anything happening, unlikely happening, and I'm going to just leave that out there as an umbrella where you can throw anything under it. Barring anything unlikely, Chip Kelly is going to return to UCLA uh, next season. Um I'm leaving open the door that something else could happen. I think it's unlikely. From what I've heard, UCLA and Kelly, in principle, have agreed on a new contract. And I'll get into all the details of the contract probably in that story. Uh, it's um, 
there is going to be an expectation for what I've been told are coaching changes. Uh, I haven't heard specifically if that is um, Jerry Azanero being fired or let go or just rolled into a, a, a retirement plan uh, and they couch it as a retirement. That's what I've heard more than likely would happen if Azanero did leave uh, UCLA. Um, so what would be UCLA stepping up to try to grab some of the, uh, the headlines like I wrote in that article a few days ago it's all about, if they're going to retain Chip Kelly, it's all about hiring a really elite defensive coordinator. That's what they have at their disposal right now. Whatever money they're saving and not forking out $8 million for a head coach, they can put it toward a defensive coordinator. Uh, good defensive coordinators these days are running in the, what, $1.5 to $2 million a year yeah. kind of range. They're going to have to step up and do that. Um uh, we all, I'd say, I know you, and I'd say myself, are, are on the side of the fence that I don't think Chip Kelly has earned, uh, how do I say this, that, that he deserves to continue on at UCLA. I don't think he's done enough. I don't think this season did enough. I said 9-3 and three was a minimum. The fact that this season was 8-4, and four, not beating any winning teams, given the other unprecedented three seasons before that, but the UCLA administration, from what I've heard, balked at this, at this market, at the coaching hire market. Not only because there were so many programs that were in the market, the price tags on the coaches were ridiculous. And I'd like your opinion on that in a minute. So what does UCLA do? They have to go back to the table with, with Chip Kelly. And what I've heard is that expect, there are expectations for uh, staff changes. And it has to go big with a defensive coordinator. It just absolutely. And you can now, you could make the case, and Dave, I want you to make the case, that Chip Kelly's offense, which is, you know, top 20 in the country this season, top at least. Well, let's just say top 20. If you... Combine that with an elite defensive coordinator, UCLA might have something that can compete for a Pac-12 championship going forward. Even, and there's obviously the other component here, and that's recruiting. And we'll we'll get into that in a minute. But yeah, I, I want your opinion. Yeah, next year in Jerusalem, right? Um, <laughs> d uh, so defensively, I would say um, there's a lot that a, an elite defensive coordinator can do, but I would say, you know, I, I've generally been down on the talent argument. Um, but when you look at that defense, um, bad defenses in UCLA's past have still been able to generate a base pass rush through individual talent. Um, you know, to Karis McKinley, uh, Bruce Davis, Justin Hickman, um, yeah, guys who were just on, you know, whatever mediocre to bad defenses still making an impact um, through their individual ability. I don't see that um, on this roster right now. Um, and so maybe you acquire that in the transfer portal, but like I've been banging that drum for a while, just on like an individual pass rush. And I've tried to talk myself into Mitchell Agude, and I think he's good in a lot of ways, but he's not that guy. Um, 
and uh, I would say just overall, the the talent in the secondary is also mm, pretty weak. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think they can be better. I don't know if they can be, um, you know, very good immediately. I think a lot of the, the problems for Chip Kelly's program, if we're game planning the way that it gets fixed right now, come down to a roster management and talent acquisition standpoint. Um, I don't think all of UCLA's problems can be solved through the transfer portal. I think they can solve some, I don't think they can solve all. Um, and I think the way they approach the transfer portal, they find guys who are good, um, but who fit like maybe a niche. Um, and I don't know. I'm 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 interested to see um, if the form of this defense changes because uh, it's just uh, I I don't know if it's a workable workable solution for dealing with um, you know what is going to be an elite USC. But I think that the the real solution for Chip Kelly, if this is because here's the reality for everyone out there. If he gets retained this year, he's more than likely going to be retained next year as well. Um, if you look, at I, the I can say I can say it would probably be yeah. Oh yeah, you're looking. You're not talking contract. You're talking schedule. That yeah, schedule yeah, no, because I mean, they can always pillow, fire him, but they'll probably right. reduce the buyout. But Pill, um, pillow soft that right. that schedule. Wow. Yeah, it's Bowling Green, Alabama State, and South Alabama in the non-con. Um, and then yeah, the conference schedule has Oregon and Washington instead of Oregon State and Washington State, but the Pac-12. Was horrible this year. It's probably not going to be a whole lot better next year. Um, Stanford will still be coached by David Shaw. Um, you know, Carl Durrell will still be at Colorado. Uh, Arizona State will it, will, it, will lose forty players. Arizona is a one win team this year. I don't think they're upgrading to Colorado next year. <laughs> so uh, what I'm saying is, um, like seven and five is the absolute bare minimum. Like there isn't really oh, a it, chance that they do worse than seven and five. And I would say this is a this lines up for even with the reduced expectations that we all apparently have for Chip Kelly, uh, they should walk into eight and four and nine and three should absolutely be on the table. I think anyway. nine and three has to be it. Uh, that that they win the three non-conference just to get to nine and three, you go. Uh, I I don't know how they wouldn't go six and three in conference games, given right. the teams that are out that they will be playing. Looking at it now, of course things change. Could get worse. They've, that's got to be a nine win, and, and that's projecting the super. Uh, realistically, if you take guesses at the super seniors that will come back, thinking that UCLA will plug in uh, some guys from the transfer portal, they'll still be pretty good and have some personnel better than <laughs> six teams that they face in their conference schedule. Exactly. So uh, my I guess my bigger point then is it's not really like, okay, what do they need to do for next year? Because if they retain him for next year, they're retaining him for at least two years. Um, it's more about, okay, well, maybe you have a window now, Chip, to fix some of the problems that you've created for yourself. And I think they've got to, and this goes back to my point for just dealing with super elite USC, you have to compete with them. You have to compete with them on the high school recruiting trail. Because um, I don't think being a mercenary program where you're just turning over with 10 new transfer guys every year is going to work long term because um, you're going to have lulls. But if you can consistently recruit the high school level pretty well, you've got this steady stream of guys coming into the program every year who are then being developed. And this is supposed to be. In theory, um, at its initial root, this was supposed to be a development program. Um, so I think they need to um, really, really go into overdrive. So not only getting an elite defensive coordinator, 
but taking a long look at this entire staff and looking at the spots where you might upgrade with a recruiter, um, with somebody who can uh, take that to another level. Um, you know, with with Justin Fry being looked at for various head coaching jobs, uh, potentially Fresno State or whatever, maybe you can upgrade an offensive line with, not upgrade is the right word, but maybe you can take a look at, okay, what's a good recruiter we can get at the offensive line coach? Um, and just like kind of take a look at it from that standpoint. Um, at even just the the regular assistant coach level and not even at the coordinator level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned one thing that uh, it gives Kelly an opportunity to fix some things. I thought, I thought seriously, you were leading into kind of a, a snarky comment. Like when would he ever show that kind of awareness to, to I'm doing air quotes, fix things. I, I, yeah, it's the opportunity to oh, do it. I'm, but I'm think talking completely out of the side of my mouth. I'm okay, talking good. completely out of the side of my mouth because go. I don't think any of this should be happening right now. I think he should be fired even with this even with the state of the coaching market. What you have is a guy who just went eight and four against the worst Pac twelve in probably over twenty years. Yeah. Um so yeah, he's not very good. And with a team that was in a culmination year with um, you know, a quarterback who I think has a really good chance of winning Pac-12 player of the year or offensive player of the year or whatever it is, uh with Zach Charbonnet who came out of nowhere to be a 1000-yard rusher, with all of that offensively, he still couldn't put a defensive product out there that was capable of um actually putting together a good record. Instead it's yeah. instead it's they were a team that in a better Pac-12 probably would have gone 6 and 6. Yeah. So uh so how would you feel just you know this is just purely hypothetical how would you feel if like gary patterson was hired as the defensive coordinator uh not great okay yeah i mean so gary patterson um let me see all right so i i'm gonna how would you feel while you're doing that how would you feel about jimmy lake being jimmy lake much better um because i also i want it to combine with a little bit of a recruiter um and i think um you always bump up against being a little ageist here, and I don't want to do that because it's very specific to football coaches. But how many times do you see these guys um, in their early to mid-60s who then take a job and it's their retirement job? Like, oh, this is the last little paycheck I want to get, and then I'm going to take and run. Yep, Um, especially in Southern California. Especially in Southern California. Um, Jimmy Lake, though, I think he would want to rebuild his reputation. I think that would be an interesting hire. Um, and he's a competitive son of a gun, and he also recruits. Um, and I think all of those factors would play into it. Um, yeah, I would I, I would support that. I don't think I'd support Patterson. And also, I think his defense was getting a little stale by the time he was done at TCU, too. Okay. Uh, who else? Let's just say that might be likely defensive that you would like that could be that that not only would put a good product on the field, but would put UCLA in a conversation as have having made a big move in the offseason to even slightly keep pace with what's going on. Well, I think you could try to go poach some guys. Um, There's the Michigan dude who's pretty good, um, whatever his name is. Um, you know, I, it'd be interesting to look around and see who is not getting paid necessarily market for who they are and, and what they bring to the table. Um, you know, I know, uh, Morgan Scaly was part of the succession plan at Utah, and then he had some problematic texts. You have to go look and see if those texts were that problematic, but he'd be a guy to look at. Um, 
So like Jim Knowles, if you could pull him out of like Oklahoma State, he's making yeah, I would, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, I would, I would definitely look at the sitting defensive coordinators. I wouldn't go for like upgrading from within or whatever, um, or promoting a guy who's like a linebackers coach somewhere. I would really look at sitting defensive coordinators um, and see if again you can get somebody. Like if Notre Dame opts not to hire Marcus Freeman, go get Marcus Freeman. How much does Marcus Freeman make? I'm Probably sure it's over quite a, a bit. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that that's we got a little bit into the into the specific coaching weeds here. But yeah, that's that's what UCLA needs to do in this offseason. If this doesn't happen, it's it's a massive fail. It is a massive fail. If they don't. They have to recognize uh, they haven't had a lot of butts in seats at the Rose Bowl. Uh, I mean, one By of the, the way, worst. Can I just side note for you, really, one sure. second. How sure. stupid does Texas feel right now? Yeah, that they last cycle overpaid for Steve Sarkeesian, and then LSU gets Brian Kelly, and USC gets Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Buyer's remorse. I. I, I don't even know if there's kind of a phrase that captures and it's just texas football is just is is tragic anyway it it always is but yeah um so if if what i was saying without the attendance at the rose bowl if you stand pat if they retain jerry Azanero, make a few token uh staff changes and the general, and I'm not even talking about the well-informed bro. I'm talking about the general UCLA fan. If they, if the perception is the, in the off scene is that nothing really has changed in the program, what will motivate them to go out to see UCLA, especially in that non-conference schedule next year? It needs something. It absolutely needs something. It needs something so that when there's an article written and says these are all the teams. The programs that really upgraded. Look at USC. And, well, across town, UCLA did get fill-in-the-blank as its defensive coordinator and is trying to take this seriously. That's what Joe Q. Bruin fan will resonate with him and say, okay, well, yeah, they did something. Maybe I will show up to Alabama. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're I think we're both in agreement there that, like, the main reason to do this – I mean, there's, there's obviously ancillary reasons, but, like, honestly – they got to keep up um, from a <laughs> marketing standpoint. Exactly. Like it's, yeah. you, you can't let USC um, suddenly roll out its Ferrari and uh, you're just like, no, no, we're going to stand pat with the 94 Plymouth Voyager. It's well, a I good going, car. I was going more Prius, but yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was being, I was being slightly <laughs> more, uh, slightly more snarky. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I think that actually does matter at this point, um, especially when you factor in like just how few butts were in the seats um, at the Rose Bowl the last month of the season. What one of the worst attended seasons, home yeah. seasons? I well, think and top, there's there's or, obviously or bottom four or five. Yeah, yeah, and there's obviously other circumstances at play, like people, you know, some people maybe don't want to go sit in a crowd of you know thousands of their closest friends, but I think a huge part of it is uh, the product on the field. Um, yeah. It just hasn't been very good, um, and the hope uh, for this season was uh, cut off real quick um, after LSU. Uh, and then uh, l- let's talk about what is the enigma of UCLA football recruiting. 
Um, because uh, I say one thing, people jump on that bandwagon just too excessively. And then I say another thing, people jump on it the other way. I mean, I, I made the point in a, in a story that you will not be able to just judge UCLA's recruiting strictly by where its recruiting classes are, are ranked anymore going forward, at least under Chip Kelly. So everyone jumped on that saying, see, see, they're recruiting really well. But there are a lot of nuances and details of that <laughs> that you have to know. And I, and I uh, just stupidly think we've been pounding that for four years that it would get into everyone's brain. But I, I guess I have to repeat it every time. This is not a great recruiting staff. Let's just, just overall. And that comes down from Chip Kelly. He's not an aggressive you know, get after it recruiter. You just, every time you go to post something, keep that in your mind. That's just hands down it. That trickles down to the rest of the staff. I can safely say there are guys on the staff that are, are not putting in the time and effort that should be put in, in recruiting. Um, and that's the way assistant, there are assistants that are motivated to recruit. The vast majority of them don't like doing it. And if you don't have a head coach kicking your ass to do it, they won't. It will fall through the cracks. And, and that's what's happening. And that's what's been happening for four years under Chip Kelly. So just always remember that. They are not recruiting optimally or as well as they should be. So the, And then there's the argument of how much credit does Chip Kelly get for taking advantage of the transfer portal? Okay, he gets a bit because there are, you know, uh, transfers that want to come play for him because he runs a pro-style offense and, you know, he's an, he's an NFL coach and, you know, all these players, no matter who they are, think they're going to the NFL. Um, but there there was an amazing amount of luck in this. Just that it, the timing that this all went down with enabling uh, players to transfer without having to sit out, just the facilitation by the transfer portal... This all happened, luckily, during Chip Kelly's tenure at UCLA. It could happen any time, but it happened now. Um, UCLA and Chip Kelly did not do this. This was done, started before he was there and finished by administration other than him to create the uh, graduate program in the education department, which uh, I don't know the numbers, but there are probably double-digit football players who are in that graduate department. And it's not a, it's not a bad, it's, from what I've heard, it's a real thing. It's a, it's, it's a real academic thing, but it, it's not getting into the engineering program at UCLA. It's not that. So there was a lot of luck in this. And then we, and you've just got to keep this in your mind. Chip Kelly does not like to recruit. It's not his thing. He, he would, one of his motivating factors to ever go back to the NFL is so that he does not have to recruit as a college football coach. Um, so you can see naturally the pivot to transfers. It's, it's so much easier. I can't even tell you how much easier it is. It is in many, in many ways, it's two weeks of effort compared to two years. And you're dealing with a straight, a far more straightforward recruit in a transfer than you ever are with a 16-year-old high school, uh, 
elite high schooler. It is so much easier. It's just this, you got to, everyone get this in your, this is the easier way out by far. So just accept all that. Give them a little credit for successfully doing it. Yes. But a lot of it was just completely being fortunate at the timing and, and the whole nature of transfer recruiting. So get all that. The danger here with Chip Kelly, right now they have 12 committed recruits in the 2022 class. I think they're going to give out 32 altogether when it comes to 2022 recruits, transfers, and then I'll count super seniors in there too. They're going to give out, they're going to go to the top as many as they can give out, which is 32 if they lose seven to the transfer portal, they've already lost five. So they're going to be able to give out 32. Among those 32, 12 to 14 will be high schoolers. I'd say, wow. So let's say that gives us maybe 20, 18 to 20. I'd say they're going to be eight to 10 transfers and then probably the rest super seniors or some mix in there. You're getting, it's not like, you're bringing in 24 high schoolers a year and then five transfers. It's getting seriously close to equal parts at this point. And as you said, I don't think that's a sustainable recruiting philosophy. Um, I, I don't think you can, you can do that, but I, I'm telling you right now, that's, that, that's this program's recruiting approach. They have not, they have been actively recruiting just a small, small, small handful of 2022 recruits for a while and are now leading up to signing day on December 15th. And they're putting their time into monitoring that transfer portal to see who, who pops out of there. And, and that's their recruiting right now. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I guess from like a, an efficiency standpoint, I guess it makes sense if you're really into like, you know, time commitments and all that kind of stuff. I just, I don't know. And, and look, I, there, there's obviously been some success they've had with the transfer portal, um, but I, I would caution everyone that, uh, again, you know, you can assess it on an individual basis, but uh, assessing it on a um, broad spectrum basis is probably better. And you're, you're still talking about, they went eight and four this year, um, building quite a bit of the impact players on this team out of the transfer portal. Um, and again, this was a culmination year in a lot of ways uh, because they are going to have to rebuild in some ways, some meaningful ways next year, potentially a quarterback uh, if Dorian Thompson Robinson does elect to go, um, potentially at running back, um, you know, maybe a couple of guys on the offensive line. There's going to be a, an element of rebuilding next year. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I would be just kind of cautious about thinking that you can build a championship contender out of the transfer portal. Um, that's not to say it can't happen. We ha This is truly uncharted waters in a lot of ways. Um, it's just I wouldn't be making that gamble. Um, well, well, also because, as you said, uncharted waters. We have, uh, okay, so far, let's just take this last cycle. Okay, that, that, was, that was good evidence that UCLA can recruit out of the transfer portal, top five transfer class last year. But we are, this is all unknown. 
it, we, UCLA could go through a number of years where they don't happen to have a, a former Southern California uh, running back who literally is a pro <laughs> and decide he wanted. It might not all fall this way. When you recruit high school, don't forget, you're building depth and talent over not just one class, but a number of classes. And you're developing it yourself to turn it into what you want. It, there's, it's a longer term, better play of building experience and talent on your team. Um, maybe we're wrong. Maybe you're right. There will be college football playoff contenders built primarily on the transfer portal going forward. It's an unknown quantity at this point, whether that can happen. And if you're saying it can happen, you're guessing because we don't know. Um, so it's, I, I've, it's an amazing time for recruiting um, right now. It's, it's a strange time. Uh, the transfer portal is a whole new thing. Uh, and a lot of staffs are trying to scramble to figure it out, to figure out how they balance that along with the super senior uh, <laughs> whole other element of this. Um, one thing to mention is uh, a very curious and interesting recruitment of a four-star uh, out of Bishop Alemany, Ephesians Prysock. Uh, UCLA had been recruiting him. It looked like he might be going to UCLA. And then, I mean, I'm just going to be candid here. He obviously didn't want to go to UCLA if he committed to a USC program without a coach, which was pretty much uh, a dumpster fire at the time. Now, USC, with its new coaching staff and Lincoln Riley, is, is moving on, is, is probably not going to have room for him. He decommits. I don't know if he has any other options, but it, uh, uh, Greg Biggins put in a crystal ball for him. Four-star guy, probably didn't have a great senior year. Has some talent, though. So that's one of the guys that UCLA probably add to this class. Kamari Ramsey out of Sierra Canyon, a talented uh, safety who's verbally committed to Stanford, took an official visit to UCLA. There's a good chance there, too. Other than that, uh, there's, I mean, we could talk about C.J. Williams, but <laughs> I cannot. If he's going to stay home, he's he's going to go to USC. Uh, David Bailey, uh, probably running fourth or fifth. UCLA is for him, uh, an elite linebacker. Both of those guys out of modern day. So, yeah, this is the state of recruiting. They're not actively really looking or pursuing any other 2022 guys. And I can't see that changing by the late, I'm calling February late, the late signing period in February. So going forward from here on out, this could be all about transfer portal. And I mean, it's kind of exciting. I mean, as a fan, the one thing about recruiting, I know I'm rambling on, the one thing about recruiting high school, it is a long process and it's tiring. And we go through this whole thing of a kid uh, getting he gets checked up on once a month and he has a different list of eight guys and uh, eight programs and he eliminated two and he's down to six yeah this is a lot easier to follow when it comes to if you're into recruiting 
information. This is, I mean, the guy goes in the transfer portal. I don't know if anyone has taken longer than a month. So, so it should be exciting moving forward. It's going to keep us all excited through probably winter and spring, like it did last cycle. Yeah. Um, and so who knows? That's look, fun, look, let's, let's be least. optimistic. Tracy, I'm going to be optimistic. You ready to be optimistic? Sure, let's do it. I'm going to throw out a theory, okay? Because UCLA is probably keeping Chip Kelly, okay? We're just got to, we got to all deal with that. We got to all, you know, cope with that in our own ways. And I'm going to cope with it with blind optimism. Maybe having Clay Helton lined up across him, uh, cross town, just made him feel a little fat and happy, you know? A little complacent. A little, oh, you know, whatever. I can beat Clay. And come on, who cares? Yeah. Now you got Lincoln Riley across there, you know, somebody who's going to bring a national spotlight onto L.A. with, like, some real regularity. I don't know. Are there some competitive juices still in there, Chip? Like, are you you, you want to you wanna compete with that? And maybe and, he does. And, and also on top of it, I mean, before he had a $9 million buyout and a multi-year contract, that's probably not going to be the case with the new contract. So, talking about you know what? How did you call it with Clay Helton? What'd you say? Was it fat and happy? Fat, fat and happy. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's that. The contract doesn't give you that a cushion either. So, I think he's got to know. He's going to have to win. <laughs> he's just well, seriously going to have to recognize gonna, he has to win. There's going to be some ego for him because I think sitting here and hearing, you know, all this talk about USC and their glittering offense and all this other stuff. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe that, you know, fires up a little spark for him and he decides, okay, I'm going to be an ass kicker again. Um, I don't know. Let's, be let's do this. Let's also have some fun and talk about what you would say would be the, and I did a story this morning, what you would say would be the priorities to go out and pick up in the transfer portal for next season or longer term or multi-year solution. Hmm, okay. Well, I'm gonna continue to bang the drum of a pass rusher. Bang, bang, bang. That still needs to happen. Um, I would probably go out and get um, at least one starter level tackle, um, maybe two. Yeah, I mean, from what we've heard, Alec Anderson uh, wants to go pro. Whether when he gets his draft grade back, that makes sense for him. But as you know, everyone makes uh, more. More guys have made stupid NFL draft decisions than smart ones. Um, so yeah, there could UCLA could be losing two tackles. Yeah, two starting uh, tackles. Yeah, I think you got to get a running back. Wow, wow. So what if they don't? Uh, if they don't, I think you're staring at uh, maybe um, a local car dealership making a really strong pitch to Zach Charbonnet to stick around. Um, I don't think that's happening. I yeah, think he's going regardless. Yeah, because uh, the 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 reality is, I don't think Keegan Jones is a starter level running back at the college level. Um, I don't think uh, Casimir Allen can do that as a full time job. Um, and I don't know about literally anyone else in that depth chart. Like, do you move Martel Irby back to running back? Let's, uh, one other thing that I knew was happening, I heard about last night, and uh, it just broke. Uh, Arizona, our friend Jed Fish, has hired Johnny Nansen, UCLA's defensive line coach, as his defensive coordinator. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. So that 
not only was a guy who was one of the best recruiters, if not even the best recruiter on UCLA staff, it's also, in the past he's been called a recruiting, a recruiter extraordinaire, but suspect coach. I got to say, since he's been there, the defensive line has been coached well. So that's a blow. Not so good. Um, All right. So that's a, that's a, that's a problem. Um, and then I think, uh, I mean, uh, defensively, I think, <laughs> so this is where I get into uh, 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 maybe a little bit broader. I would take any um, any player who wants to come defensively, because I think UCLA could use upgrades literally everywhere. Um, so if there's a big-time cornerback, cornerback who wants to come, great. If there's a big-time safety who wants to come, maybe take two of those. Um if there are any linebackers who want to come, I mean, I think they've got, I think they've got a good enough solution at inside linebacker now. Wow. See, I don't. I, I middle linebacker, Jordan Jim Markeith was maybe serviceable this year. I, I don't see anyone behind that. I um, think there's some flaws in this defense uh, uh, with basically what they're doing. But yeah. I take upgrades everywhere. I'm, I'm, I, I will, I will, I will walk back my inside linebacker statement okay. and just say, take upgrades at every defensive spot. Anybody who wants to come, who's a clear upgrade over what you have, take them. Um, I think offensively, you can more or less just fill guys in. Oh, and also tight end. You got to see if Greg Dulcich is going to stick around. But even if he does, you still want another tight end who can play. It's so funny because you start out, I know what you're doing. You start out with kind of a, you just, oh, and then you go, well, wait, no, this, and oh, wait, this. Yeah, what if Greg Dulcich, uh, that's not just like a throw-in. What if Greg Dulcich does go to the NFL? Yeah, it's not good, dude. (laughs) This offense is completely based on a really good receiving tight end. What do you, uh, you got to go to the transfer portal, right? Uh Uh-huh. That's about it. I mean, then what about quarterback? If you could get a good quarterback that could plug in and immediately, you know, hit the ground running on this offense, one is showing you interest and wants to come play for Chip Kelly, you got to do that, right? Yeah, I mean, I could I could talk myself into not doing that um, because you do want to commit to your program at some level. Um, and Ethan Garbers is already a transfer. Um so you would, I think, in an ideal world, you would want to just commit to the future there, um, because do you really want to be that mercenary program? Because that's going to start to influence a lot of transfers out too. Um, if you just consistently bring in transfers who start over the guys that you have, well, in Ethan Garber's case, transferred in on, on his own to be the successor to Dorian Thompson Robinson. True. Okay. How about just like a uh, punter kicker it usually just lost its scholarship starting punter to the transfer portal yeah <laughs> <laughs> Why, we both spontaneously laughed can i <laughs> can i just say something that um i I've, I've banged this drum a few times but i'm gonna do it again the whole idea you're banging trip, a lot of drums yeah dude. i'm just banging drums the the whole idea with the trip kelly program is that they were going to be analyzing like fit and how they would you know be uh, you know, how they would work for like four or five years and develop into players and all that stuff. And the whole idea was it was going to be like significantly lower attrition um, every year, you know, because Mora was having those, you know, huge churns every year where like 10 guys would leave. And now it's like, well, isn't that just happening right now? Like they're having that level of churn. Like they're having a bunch of guys leave who are depth guys who were, you know, in theory going to develop. Like DJ Warnell, 
that was a guy who's probably going to be in the two deep next year at least. Um, I, I thought, yeah, if if Quentin Lake left, he was he was the next to step in for. I mean, him or Churchwell, but I, I think. Warnell has the most, the highest ceiling of any of those non-starters. And you could make the case that he's, give him another year of development, he's going to be better than Stefan Blaylock. And the fact that he's leaving, he has to perceive that he's not going to start next year. Right. Yeah. I mean, why else would he do it? He puts all this time into it. And if, if he says, oh, I'm starting next year, I'm, yeah, really strange if he, has an open lane to starting any left. So well, you have to you have to assume he feels Blaylock and Quentin Lake are returning, or there's at least a possibility of that. And then the other one that was kind of eye-opening for me was Miles Jackson leaving, because I know that they had been high on him. Um, and he played a little bit this year, um, and he was getting off the injury. And to have him leave, um, that was a guy who was going to make a bigger impact as he went forward. Um, so to lose both of those guys, I mean, Parker McQuarrie makes sense, you know, quarterbacks, if they're not starting, they're leaving. Um, but, and then Luke Akers, I mean, I don't, that one, that one's bizarre, I guess. Well, I um, do know, I do know that he fancies himself a field goal kicker and he thought as, you know, that he wasn't getting an opportunity to be a field goal kicker at UCLA, um, I've watched him in practice enough. He has a bigger leg than Barmira, but a lot more erratic, just less consistent and accurate. So I thought it was valid that Barmira was the starter over him as as a kicker, but he doesn't really fancy himself as a as a punter. So out of that frustration, he's going to go somewhere where he can kick. Uh, yeah. So punter wise, I know they're 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 looking for. Uh, walk on punters, but do they need, do they walk on high school punters, which very rarely does a walk on high school punter come in and, and give you a good enough punting performance. It usually has to be a super elite guy that you give a scholarship to. The one thing that UCLA always did that they're uh, seemingly ceasing to do under Chip Kelly, and I think it was always a good thing that UCLA did this, was offer scholarships to their specialists because, like, there is a a marked quality difference between what you get with a walk-on kicker or punter and what you get with a scholarship guy. Um, And I I don't know why they've decided to do that, where they're going just a walk-on route. Yeah, I think because they're getting greedy over transfer portal and filling other positions, and but they're they want losing that their back. But they're losing their back, um, like the 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 bottom guys in the depth chart anyway. Like, why not spend I, a couple of scholarships on specialists? Well, yeah, but they are topped out at thirty two. That's the way this works. Um, yeah, whatever. They're not getting thirty two guys back. Uh, they're going to fill uh, between high school super seniors and transfers they're they're going to get to that 32 oh sorry sorry. they're going to have 32 bodies um they're not going to have 32 dudes get get throw two for a a okay let me ask you this if you could get an impact safety a scholarship safety who could come in and, and probably compete to start or a punter which do you take that's not the question though it's like what fifth linebacker do you want because that's what it's going to be it's not like no, no, no. But that's in our mind. In impact their mind, safety, impact safety is like one of the top three needs next year. Okay, 
uh, impact. You know what I'm saying, though. Yeah, in yeah, their no, mind, agreed. they think the guy they're getting in the transfer portal is an impact at any position. A receiver calls him up and says, you know, the guy caught 50 balls this season. Uh, and he wants like, to come. I'm not trying to pick on him because I think he's doing okay and the misses have been quick. But, like, how many points did they leave on the table because of Nicholas Barmira this year? Uh, points in, well, maybe some games. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I mean, I think it was 15 in missed field goals, but there were also opportunities to kick field goals where they didn't because he didn't have enough leg. So right. those are like, that's an actual thing that's happening. Um, so punter, what's higher priority, punter or kicker? Uh, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I, they don't have a punter right now, so I maybe punter. <laughs> I mean, Barmira is kind of the backup punter. You know what I would say about punter? is that I can probably kick the ball quicker than Luke Akers did. And you know what? What we're coming down to, we have no valid way out, no solution when it comes to the punting kicking game at this point. And no. the fact that Luke Akers, there are a lot of things happening here. Between That's something that's happened that you just go, wow, you know, that's something that really needs to be addressed and fixed, but that's further down the list. There are too many things, such as Johnny Nansen. <laughs> that's not good. Leaving. Uh, uh, the, here's, here's the scary part about this. More than, beyond the, two, the other things, recruiting, coaching. There are guys who came to UCLA because of him, defensive linemen. And I made a point recently of saying, I, like in that uh, story about what the guys UCLA go shopping for, the type of players UCLA shop for in the transfer portal, Unusual that for the first time ever, I didn't list like an interior defensive lineman as a priority that UCLA needs because the depth chart is unprecedented with how much talent, young talent it has. Um, are, are any of those guys going to leave now that Nansen's gone? Uh, it's easy to leave these days. Um, I mean, is Jay Toia, one of the reasons he left USC to come to UCLA was of Johnny Nansen. Now, transferring twice you'd have to sit out so you got that going for you but but you know uh, ts uh was he looked like quietly didn't get a lot of attention he looked great i'm telling you he looked very very promising is he gonna leave because of nansen yeah i mean (sighs) and these are things that if there weren't so much else going on between Chip Kelly being retained, USC, defensive coordinator, Johnny Nansen leaving would have been the headline for this podcast. Yeah, it's not great. Now, if you're looking optimistically, if you want to look optimistically, Johnny Nansen leaving, uh, could it be? Could it be that he's leaving because he's gotten wind that uh, there might be a whole defensive staff change out? I think that could be that could be an element of it. But if you're a defensive line coach and you can become defensive coordinator, you just got upgraded from totally two hundred well three hundred fifty thousand. But to, you do have to go live in Tucson. Yeah, but yeah, but but you got to think. Just it's not even one of those things like I'll take a job that makes less because I'll have longevity there. This is you are going to take a job that makes more and you'll probably have more longevity there and you're going to live in tucson where it's five times your money you could go buy a beautiful house in tucson and just go to the area called the hills 
and just imagine you're in a beautiful place. Yeah, it's true. It's and true. and and your seven your seven hundred thousand dollars is like what two million in Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, and it just does t- go a take long a way. private plane and fly to Malibu every other weekend. Right. During the- yeah. yeah, and just um, you know use those um, warbucks to uh, build yourself a, a beach scene in your backyard. I, um, I you know I'm now probably more flustered and frustrated at the end of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we did anything to uh, calm people. Um, no. Do we have to talk basketball? We should probably talk a little bit of basketball. No. Okay, go ahead. I'm exhausted. You go. First. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna just give a little bit. Hey, everybody, um, don't freak out about the Gonzaga loss. It's fine. Like it's no big deal. Um, it, we've we've watched a bunch of Mick Cronin teams, right? You 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 and me out there in the ether. Uh, and by a bunch, I do mean two. But what's what's the like consistent <laughs> thing with the two teams we've watched? They get a lot better. They get a lot better at the end of the season, and this team is starting at a much much higher baseline. They've got to work out some chemistry stuff. I think that's pretty obvious. They've got to work out some probably leadership roles, some, okay, hammer Johnny back into, okay, you can't take these shots, but you still need to take a lot of shots, uh, but get him back into a better mindset. Uh, but get everyone kind of back into a better mindset. Um, I think there's some structural things that they need to work on. Um, uh, Russ has made a good point on the Hoops Forum a couple of times now, which is with this open offense that they're doing now, where basically anybody can take the ball up the floor, what ends up happening is that it'll be Jaime or Johnny up at the top um, just trying to create off the dribble um, in a straight line drive against the hoop. And the floor balance gets screwed up, which is why the transition defense, which I think they've been unfocused, but also just structurally, they're having issues getting back in transition because Tiger's not up top. Um, so all that said, um, I actually liked what I saw out of the UNLV game because I think they, you know, Mick... Mick said they didn't slow it down. He said that's what happens when you play good defense, but they slowed it down. Like they were walking it up a lot more. Um, and I think the reality is while the program may want to be um, a more up tempo team and probably will choose those moments and spots, um, the reality is that uh, it's it, it's better for everyone when they slow it down some. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll see what that looks like going forward. Agreed, too. And a couple other elements here. Um, UCLA got better towards the end of the season last year because it played better defense. And a lot of the reasons, well, there are a lot of reasons, but one reason if you noticed, and we wrote about it a number of times because we noticed it and we were a little shocked, Cody Riley's on-ball defense, his ability to move his feet improved. So because he was able to do that, they were able to switch more. So you commonly saw, remember, toward the end of last season, Cody Riley being switched off on a 6'7 guy, and he held his own. He moved his feet, and he blocked a couple of shots. I remember you writing, hey, Cody Riley <laughs> blocked two shots. Um, yeah. That, you can't do that with Miles Johnson. They, they tried against UNLV. It was really interesting. They tried to do something else with Miles Johnson rather than switching him. They... For lack of a better term, Nick doesn't use the term hedge. That's my holdover term from Ben Hallen. But they hedge screens a lot more, which delayed and disrupted any kind of pick and roll. And that seemed that seemed to help with Johnson. But in the long run, if he's going to play a lot of minutes in Mick Cronin's offense, you need a center who can switch some. Not a lot. Not everyone. I mean, you'll never... Well, actually, you might have a center that can switch. If you watch a Dembona, that dude can switch. But right. uh, Cody Riley can do it better. 
So they will be a, they might end up being a better on-ball defensive team with Cody. Miles Johnson will get better at fitting in defensively, and the team will get better at playing cohesively on the defensive end with him. Because right now it's kind of disjointed. He's kind of not fitting in, even with the shot blocking, which was something we did not anticipate, which was very interesting because we thought, oh, rim protector, that's what they needed. And uh, there's a whole nother element to it. The other thing that's maybe a little worrisome to me is in UCLA's isolation one-on-one offense, uh, it started out gangbusters this year and then it, it's kind of hit some hiccups. And mostly is the, the individual offensive players like Johnny Juzang are getting scouted better. There's a lot of tape on them. Opposing teams now know how to defend them, especially with quick defenders, right? So Johnny Juzang is struggling to get a shot off a bit at times, uh, which leads to really bad shot selection. Um, I'm, I'm worried about that first. But then secondly, I was encouraged by Mick Cronin looking for other ways to exploit a mismatch. And that's namely Jaime Jaquez working as a back-to-the-basket offensive player, which is so effective. Uh, Getting him the ball in the post. And he talked about it this week in the interview, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So... What's really encouraging about this, we see some things happening. You know, other coaching staffs are pretty good. They can actually coach. And then we see Mick Cronin responding, which is really exceptional. That's what you want. Cronin is not going to be able to stay ahead of everyone. When he brought this isolation offense out last year, it took everyone by surprise. Uh, they didn't know. Uh, offenses had, I mean, defenses had no idea what he was doing, but now they're catching up. So he needs to respond, and he is. So that's all really encouraging for the not just this season, but for the long term. But I, like you said, uh, they're going to get better. Defensively, they'll get better. They'll get a lot better, uh, I think, even defensively by having Cody Riley back and obviously offensively too. So, yeah. Fun, yeah. It, but this is all fun. They're ranked five, and we're nitpicking, and it's, this is fun. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. They're good. They're they're a really good team. They're not right now, I would say, a top two team. Maybe probably not even a top five team. They're probably yeah. a top 15 team. Yeah. And they're going to probably get better. So maybe by the time there's a potential rematch in March, uh, UCLA is much better suited for handling that Gonzaga team. So yeah. I think yeah. there's a lot of reasons still to be very optimistic about this UCLA basketball season. <sighs> okay. All right. Well, I think that's it for us, right? I'm spent. You're going to ask me if I have anything. You always Do you have anything? No, I'm spent. You're spent. All right. Well, then, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, UCLA side on the 24-7 Sports Network, and we will talk to you again next time. See you all.